Thanks for listening to the Mercy Church Podcast. If you're in the area, we want to invite you to join us the last weekend in March as we celebrate Good Friday and Easter Sunday. Good Friday services will be at 6 p.m. on Friday evening. And then on Sunday morning, we invite you to join us for a time of worship, a message, and baptisms. Bring your friends, your family, and if you feel so led, invite your coworker, cashier, or barista to join you. Services will be held at regular service times at all campuses. To learn more, visit mercycharlotte.com slash events. Again, that's mercycharlotte.com slash events. Well, hey, Mercy Church, it is good to be preaching to you again. Uh, man, it was good last week. I'm just so excited for what I've been learning in God's Word and uh, really just spent the whole summer over in Mark chapter 8. So we're going to be this morning, and I felt like I, I learned so much, and that's why we're in this series. That's what I was studying over the summer. I felt like there's a lot of fresh truth that I got from God's Word for us, and I'm just excited. You know, the, this is a kind of a weird season that I feel like has been hard for me as your pastor because it's just because I don't see everybody like I normally did, uh, but that's just all the more opportunity to trust God with his church. And so I feel like the Lord's been kind to me that each day I've been getting up like, okay, God, what do you got for me? Been kind of going out of the prayer time, like, all right, I got to trust the Lord just to get through the day today. Um, just the other day, I was, uh, you know, on my way, getting ready to go out, leave the house, head to the office, ready to write down a whole lot of the stuff that I've been learning and thinking through over the past few weeks um, for a sermon like like this one. And I got ready to go, and um, I couldn't find my keys. You ever had that that habit? So frustrating, simple thing. You like don't know where you put your keys. You know, it's I know there's more frustrating things like you, you lose your kids, that's you know, frustrating. You lose your phone, that's even worse. But definitely, um, you know, like, where are my keys? I can't, I'm ready to go, but I can't go anywhere. And so really quickly, it starts with like, I must have misplaced it. And for about 10 seconds, I look in the three spots that I think I misplaced it. And then it kind of evolves from there into anger because I'm confident now that my children have stolen the keys to go on a joyride or something like that. Or maybe this new dog ate them or something. And so it's amazing how quickly you go from, or that I went in a matter of moments from just uh, excited about my day to frustrated, angry, and conspiracy theory, right? <laughs> and, and then it happened. And you know the feeling that's like at the same time good and also uh, a little terrible? Like I patted my right pocket. <laughs> yep. And so then now I'm in a situation, the keys are in the pocket I'm like, okay, how can I, I've kind of made a scene in my house to get th th this whole thing. How can I escape this scene with a minimal amount of shame? Um, so what I just kind of shout out to the, the home, okay, guys, I'm going to head out, you know, and of course this voice comes back from the other side of the house and, and she's very kind and loving. Um, and, and this is my wife I'm talking about. And at the same time, she knows me really well and that I misplace things a lot. And so all I hear is, oh, you found your keys? And I said, uh, yep, okay, I'm, I'm going to go. And I'm like trying to truck it out. Um, and she says, where were they? And so I thought about giving the whole, like, it doesn't matter where they were. It just matters that they were found. And let's just kind of move, you know, we, we got them. Let's move on. Uh, but that would have been a little bit, you know, I guess a little bit dishonest. So I just said, man, they were right here. They're right here the whole time. 
Uh, and I share that kind of a obviously humorous side story. We're going into Mark chapter eight today, and we're going in the second scene, starting um, in verse 14. And what we're going to see is the disciples were in this boat with Jesus. And they had this problem where they forgot to bring food into the boat with them. All right. They start trying to scramble to figure out. You can tell in their conversation, they're trying to figure out how to solve for the problem that they don't have food. And the whole time they forget that Jesus is right there in the boat with them right there. And they start trying to problem solve without him. And I know the analogy with the keys and everything is a little bit cheesy, but the point goes deep. I think that's why Mark gives us this scene, because the same Jesus that they forgot was in the boat with them is the same Jesus that we forget is right here with us right now. And we forget it all the time. The title of the sermon today is the main point. For today, it's the thing I want you to walk away with, the thing that you're going to need. Maybe it's going to be in the middle of the night. Maybe it's going to be when you're in the middle of just a a frustrating, kind of chaotic situation. The main point is this. He's right here. He's right here. And wherever you're watching this from today, he's right there with you. We've got some weary, starving souls among us that need to be fed by the bread of life. And the great news is he's right here we got some wounded souls that need the great healer to come and provide comfort and restoration. And the great news is he's right here. He's right here. I think God has so much good for us in this passage today in Mark 8. So I want to get into it. I want to tell you we're going to end this message in taking communion together. So uh, if you don't have communion elements with you, and maybe you weren't prepared or anything, just pause the the message for a second and get that. Just some, you know, I've got some grape juice and a cracker right here. You can get that or whatever as close to that as you can. And let's um, prepare to end our message in that. But let's dive in here. All right, we're in Mark chapter 8. And I'm going to start in verse 14. We're going to pick up 11 through 13 in a second. I'll show you where, all right? Here's Mark chapter 8, starting in verse 14. Like I told you, the disciples had forgotten to take bread and had only one loaf with them in the boat. They forgot the bread. Bread's going to be important again this week, just like it was last week. Uh, and it's a massive clue right there. The disciples only had one loaf. They, they sense a hunger problem. I'm so thankful to God that he's kind enough to just kind of keep one uh, image, that bread image with us for again this week. He's, he's kind of keeping the cookies on the bottom shelf for his disciples and he's doing the same for us. All right. 12 hungry guys and one loaf. Verse 15. Then he, Jesus, gives these disciples strict orders. Watch out. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. This leaven, what is it? Well, it's the leaven of the couple of verses right before they got into the vote. So into the vote, into the boat. Um, So back up a couple of verses with me, okay? Uh, Verse 11. The Pharisees came and began to argue with him, demanding of him a sign from heaven to test him. So sighing deeply in his spirit, he said, why does this generation demand a sign? Truly, I tell you, no sign will be given to this generation. You see, the leaven of the Pharisees and Herod, the thing that they share is a demand from Jesus to validate his identity, right? They want to see a sign in order to validate that he really is from God, as he says. And Jesus is warning them against that. The idea that they need a miracle to believe Jesus is who he says he is. That's not faith. 
See, faith is the certainty of things unseen. Only by faith can one recognize that Jesus is the son of God. And it's leaven. Listen, the reason Jesus points it out as leaven is because it only takes a little bit of it to ruin everything else. That's why he's so diligent against it right here in the boat with them. The disciples have no idea how dangerous a little need for a sign can be. That might be a wake-up call to some of us today. It's a deadly cancer that will eat away at their trust in Christ. It's so subtle, but so dangerous that Jesus looks at them and says, it could end up turning his very disciples into his enemies. And maybe without them even realizing it. It's a word of caution. Because listen, if the disciples are not immune to doubting the true identity of Christ, to doubting the power of Christ, to demanding a sign from God in order to believe in God, if they're not immune to that, neither are we. Look, and I want you to hear something right now. It's not that signs and wonders are bad. Remember where Jesus was right before this. (laughs) Multiplying bread, that's a miracle. And we're going to see him perform another miracle in just a second in today's passage. It's okay. Is it okay, though, to to demand a sign from God? That's what we're seeing here. What we see is that it's all about the motivation of the ask. The Pharisees were motivated to test Jesus and try and take him down. Their request was a, a testing, which is the very thing Satan himself did in the wilderness with Jesus. This is the test of an enemy versus the request of a child. Sometimes, let's, be, I mean, let's just be straight right now. We do this with God. God, if you will do this, then I will follow you. You get me out of this jam, and then I'll do whatever you want me to do. But until you do that, I'm not going to follow you. As if God, the creator of the universe, king ruler over heaven, is supposed to bow to our standards. As if God is going to negotiate with us. That's, very, that's a very different request than the request of a child to a father. The child believes the father can provide because, well, the child has seen the father provide. And whether or not the father says yes does not change the status of the father in the eyes of the child. And maybe today is our time in the boat to be reminded we do not need another sign of Jesus' power to believe in his resurrection. His resurrection, that's the sign that he got out of the grave, that he hung on the cross for our sin and he gets out of the grave. That's a sign of his power validating he is who he says he is. And when we hang on to that, then we can go to God the Father as a child and pray the very words Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will come be done. We can go to the throne of grace that Hebrews tells us we now have access to, but we go with it with the same humility of Christ in the garden who says, let this cup pass from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. That's the prayer of one who is confident in the goodness of the father come what may in our circumstance. The provision of our deepest need was met by our heavenly father in the death and resurrection of Christ. The need of salvation from our sin. So we can go to him confident in his love and his power and we can trust him with the outcome. 
Verse 16. This one's great. Oh, man. They were discussing among themselves. So we're, we're in the boat with the disciples, right? They got this one loaf, remember? They were discussing among themselves <laughs> that they did not have any bread. This little comment from Mark is great, isn't it? They, they weren't discussing that they had one loaf. They were discussing how they didn't have any bread. And this little note, God reminded me of something so true, just, just of me. When I focus on myself and on my situation and I forget the one who is with me, what little I do have starts to seem like nothing. When I stress over, you know, we're in these church strategy sessions with my whiteboard trying to figure out how to move forward in this new COVID reality, and I forget to invite into the conversation the one who owns the cattle on a thousand hills, then what little knowledge, what little wisdom I do have seems like nothing. Parents, (laughs) what little energy I do have. And now I'm supposed to be a school teacher, supervisor, person, man, when I forget who is here with me, that little bit of energy, energy can seem like nothing. Like there's no chance for me to survive. Whether that's true of you just even thinking back to, man, remember how it's like how little normal we even have right now. Like how I, I used to, I love old normal right? I just want normal back, you know? And we feel just trying to go through all of this change without the steady presence of Christ with us. We crumble under the weight of that change. What little I have when I forget he's right here seems like nothing. Some of you dads, Maybe you just feel flat out overwhelmed because you've been told you're supposed to be a spiritual leader for your family and what little wisdom, what little experience you have for whatever that's supposed to mean. You're like, am I supposed to line them up and start preaching at them at night before they get to eat? Like you don't know what in the world to do. What little you have seems like nothing when you forget that he's right there with you. And here's what will happen, y'all. It's how you know that you're starting to forget (laughs) that Jesus is there with you, when the problem seems so overwhelming, instead of leaning on Christ to walk through it, you will run from it and you'll escape into things. We do this, right? I mean, how many of us over the past just few months, listen, it's true of us before COVID, it will be afterwards, the tendency here, but the past few months, we'll just kind of turn on what I'm gonna call an Oreo show and, and just sit on the couch. And an Oreo show is one that you watch so many episodes, you down at least one sleeve of Oreos while you sit and watch it, right? That's what that, what that is. Just kind of binging TV and eating and trying to escape. And the quarantine 15 is very real with you right now. We escape. Maybe it's food and entertainment. Maybe some, maybe some other stuff, though. Maybe you're escaping into porn. Maybe you're escaping into alcohol. Maybe you're escaping into work. Like, I'm going to be extra productive right now, but it's still an escape from the real problems. Maybe you're escaping into self-harm. That's real. Uh, You know, I read a statistic, was told a statistic this week, 50% of people age 18 to 25 have contemplated ending their own, taking their own lives over the last four to five months. 
we escape, man, when it seems like we don't have enough to get through it and we're too overwhelmed. And listen, if, that's, if, if I'm talking to you and you, you're connecting with that, and I want you to reach out to our team. I want you to, to reach out and, and get the help that you need from others. You need people in your life who will remind you, man, the one who can carry you through this is right here. He's right there, right there with, in fact, you might need to say it, you might need to out loud where you are, ain't nobody else around, or maybe you got a group of people with you, but you just need to say it as a statement that Emmanuel, we are not talking about some abstract theological sentiment. We're saying when Jesus commissioned the disciples in Matthew 28, before he went to be with the Father, he said, I will be with you always till the end of the age. That is a theological truth. That is not an abstract sentiment. We believe he is with us. And you need to say right now, he's right here. He's right here. He's right here. And when we yield to his power, or when you invite him in and expect him to work among us, that little loaf, what did he just show him? It's going to be so sufficient because he didn't really need it anyways. It's going to be so sufficient that there's going to be baskets left over, baskets of his provision left over. He's the God who multiplies the faith of the few to bless the needs of the many. Let's keep going. He, he, he drops a lot of this on them right here in a series of questions back to them. Jesus um, invites himself into their conversation, and it's awesome. All right, ready? Verse 17, aware of this, he said to them, why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? You, it's a great moment. Don't you understand or comprehend? It's a real question here we're going to touch on today. Do you have hardened hearts? Do you have eyes and not see? We're going to come back to that one too. Do you have ears and not hear? Do you not remember? Guys, when I, that's my added in, verse 19. Guys, just like this. When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of leftovers did you collect? <laughs> I don't know which one. Uh, maybe it's all together, like it says here. 12, <laughs> they told him. Verse 21, I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000. How many baskets full of pieces did you collect? Seven, they said. And he says to them, don't you understand yet? Look, just like, I don't know, mathematical probability says that if he fed 4,000 people with seven loaves, he can feed 12 with one. Not that he's limited to a formula. He fed 5,000 with five loaves. In the wilderness, God fed his people for 40 years on manna when they had exactly zero loaves that they had to offer him. He's the one who created the wheat fields. He is the bread of life. All Jesus ever needs is his own voice. He never needed bread to feed the people. The miracles of multiplying the bread was grace so that their weak eyes could see firsthand who he really is. And what we remember is the disciples had been there for that. Not only were they witnesses to these miracles, they were, we talked about this last week as we looked at the feeding of the 5,000 or the 4,000, they were the ones who got to distribute the bread, right? As person after person received from their hands, they got to see the awe on these faces. These are people who had a lot of experience feeding others with the bread of Jesus, 
By Mark 8, they had seen him heal sick people, raise dead people, cast out demons, walk on water, shout down a storm, and so much more, by the way, that leading right up to this chapter, Mark just starts summarizing. He's like, yeah, we were in Capernaum, and he healed a whole bunch of people. And then we went to Genesaret, and everybody who was sick was healed. His mark, he's not the one who's, he's not very verbose, but I'll tell you what, um, there were so many healings and miracles that John and the, the gospel of John, man, he's very verbose. His last verse says, look, there were so many things that Jesus did. I suppose not even the world itself could contain the books that will be written to try and cover that. And the disciples are the ones who were there for all of it. Y'all by God's grace. As a church, we have seen King Jesus move among us. I look at our church, I see lost sheep who have been found by God. I see broken sheep mended, weak sheep strengthened. I see the flock growing and I see King Jesus right at the center of it all. He is moving. I have listened as people through tears have expressed with me the blessing that their church, Mercy Church, has been on their lives. And yet, yet, I get caught up in a moment of crisis and a a difficult decision personally or professionally and think and plan my way out of it and somehow forget who I'm in the boat with. I forget he's right here. It's a statement of conviction and belief that we got to have. He's right here. And there's a question in there I told you I wanted to come back to in that list of seven questions do you have a hardened heart? It's interesting to me that he puts it in there because the other ones are a little more about observation, but do you have a hardened heart? I want you to think about that for a second. I want to, specifically, I'm talking to you if you're experiencing bitterness towards God, any doubt that he's still there for you. Maybe it's a circumstantial thing. Maybe it's something else. Listen, the way to get overwhelmed by your circumstances and then to lead you towards bitterness is to forget he's right here. You take your eyes off of him. And when you take your eyes off of him, you start to forget either his desire to help you or his ability to. You base your faith in him on a sign from him. And once he delivers in the circumstances, then You'll believe him for who he is and follow him. And you're right back in the seat of the Pharisees. And your your heart will start to harden when you feel he doesn't answer. Man, we come to him so often. Listen, it's okay. We come to him so often demanding a sign. We want to see a revelation. And what he offers us instead is his presence. You notice how he doesn't feed the disciples in the boat, right? He's just saying, I'm here, (laughs) I'm here. In fact, it's his boat and you're his too. Now there's one other question he asked that leads to just this awesome moment of grace. I want you to see this. All right. He says, do you have eyes and not see? This is a setup for what happens next. So go to verse 22. See what's great here. Jesus doesn't condemn the disciples like he did the Pharisees. He sees weak, unstable faith in his followers. He sees them as children. He says, okay, guys, let me help you out a little bit. Verse 22. Oh, man, they came to Bethsaida. They brought a blind man to him and begged him to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand, brought him out of the village. 
Spitting on his eyes and laying his hands on him, he asked him, do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking. Again, Jesus placed his hands on the man's eyes. The man looked intently and his sight was restored and he saw everything clearly. Then he sent him home saying, don't even go into the village. Look, this is the only time Jesus heals in stages like this, and it's on purpose. The healing is for the disciples. The healing is for us. That's why Mark puts it back to back without any editorial commentary between them to show us the powerful grace of Christ for us. A lot of scholars look at these two back to back and say, all right, you see the lingering blindness of the blind man. That's the illustration that Jesus is offering the disciples of their own lingering blindness. And the only way it can be healed is by the continual touch of Jesus, right? His healing goes from faith, from like no faith, no sight. Let me just say it this way. His healing goes from no sight to partial sight to full sight. All right, here's what happens. The same thing happens with the disciples. It's not like Jesus's dosage is only so powerful that they needed a, this guy needed a second in order to fully be healed, okay? That's not what's going on there. Instead, he's showing the, the disciples are moving through these same three stages. They're going about their way spiritually blind, and Jesus then calls them to believe and follow him. But they still seem to not really get it. So they see... They drop their nets and they come and follow him, but they don't really see, right? They, they trust him. But in a minute, we're going to talk about it next week. Peter's going to say, Jesus, you're the Messiah. And then the next conversation, Peter's going to say something so wrong that Jesus calls him Satan. He sees, but he doesn't really see. And this is so true of us. But then after the resurrection, the arrival of the Holy Spirit, then they see clearly. I want to take a second right now, and I want to celebrate with you that Jesus does not write you and I off when we forget him, when we forget he's in the boat, when we forget he's right here. Man, when when we profess faith in Christ, like we've been baptized, and we've professed our faith, and we've been small group leaders, and we've been pastors, we've seen but still we don't really see. Man, he doesn't come at us with judgment. He comes at us with grace. That our salvation has secured for us standing as sons and daughters in his grace. Man, that, that secures for us his presence and he helps us along. Praise God. His love is as patient as it is powerful. Now what I want to do Let's take these last couple of minutes. I want to put some handles on this and talk about how we can remember. How do we pull this into our daily lives? He's right here. First, listen, you got to spend time with Jesus. You've got to spend time with Jesus. You got to carve out time to look at Jesus, the King, the Savior of the world, the one that you're in the boat with. Meet with him. It is really possible to slip into religious routines and forget that the God of the universe is right here. It's very possible. We do it. We're so prone to it. 
Listen, I want to ask you, I'm going to ask to those of you that have been, in, maybe you've been in church a long time. Are you so familiar with some Jesus routines that you've actually lost sight of Jesus and who he really is? And here's how you know, you, you look at your situations, your circumstances, you look at the, the one loaf and you think, I don't have any bread. <laughs> is it possible that you're stressing out over some situation and you've not even acknowledged he's right here. You not even talk to him. You might say, man, I prayed about it, but are you lying? Like, have you actually taken it before God and just prayed and, and invited the one who created the world and who loves you and who's patient with you and who has the power to create just with his words, doesn't even need your bread? Have you brought him into it? Is it possible you haven't brought Jesus into your marriage problems, into your conflicts, into your decisions, into your loneliness, into your apathy? Is it possible that you are overwhelmed by life right now, all the while you are right there in the boat with Jesus and just forgetting he's right here? So what situation is it that's overwhelming you? You just like, you can't figure out the answer. Maybe, maybe God is calling you to stop and just remember he's right here. I know that's not like the problem solving answer. Believe me, I'm, I like answers. <laughs> I like to know where we're going to go. All right. But sometimes we want answers and all he offers us is his presence because his presence is enough for us and we can trust him with the answers. And he, maybe he's saying, let that be enough for a second. I'll tell you, man, this is what God called me to for several weeks this summer. To just stop and look at Jesus. And to be satisfied in his presence. Not to problem solve. And everything for me slowed down. It was incredible. Has been still. And truthfully, a little surreal. In that, I've had a fresh reminder of how great Christ is. How sufficient Christ is, how powerful, how kind he is to his forgetful children, how loving. Basically, I've just taken some time to sit back in the boat and look at Jesus and talk with Jesus and to surrender my whole life, very practically the things in my life and just offer them to him. He is the bread of life, brother, sister. Look at him, spend time with him invite him in. Stop concentrating on what you don't have. <laughs> Look at who you do have. Look at who you do have. Here's the second one. I want you to spend time with Jesus. You've got to, you got to carve out that time. And maybe it's why you're doing this, or maybe it's in another space. I want you to recount the grace of Christ in your life. Yeah. All right. Um, for our anniversary this summer, Courtney got me a, um, a jar of rocks, which is really romantic. Um, but, but really what, what it was, um, it's very, actually the most thought, so thoughtful. I mean, she definitely outgifted me. Um, each of these rocks, uh, these little smooth stones has a word on it. 
And what she's doing uh, with that, the names of our four kids are on there. Uh, there's a word that says, the rock that says pseudo, which is the street our first house was on, where we saw the Lord do so many things, answer so many prayers. There's a rock on there that says cornerstone. Um, that represents that it's the name of a company that Courtney worked for. Uh, and we got a, it was the first job after we both had quit our jobs to go to seminary and this whole life changer. We had to trust God. Basically, it's a whole bunch of Stones that remember the provision and faithfulness of God for us. We forget the work of Christ so easily in our lives. We forget to pause and celebrate what he's doing and what he's done. There needs to be regular conversations among us. Did you see what God did? I see what God is doing in you. Because either we will collectively encourage one another, exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, Hebrews tells us, or we will experience what the disciples experienced in that moment, which is collective amnesia. And we will collectively stress out. We will collectively fear the things in front of us, all while forgetting he's right here. He's right here. Here's the last thing. I want you to walk in the hope that he still has more to do in you. He's still got some work to do. I want you to know that you are not the person you will be in Christ. He loved, this is so great. Jesus, I feel like sometimes we forget this in our walk with Christ. Um, especially, I don't know, people like me, they're kind of achiever oriented. I'm like, all right, I want to be at this level of spirituality as if there are levels. All right. And, and what I see here is just this grace that he loves me right where I am. And man, he wants to help me see him more clearly, depend on him more in the years ahead. Like a parent, he's going to walk with you as you grow. Praise God, I am not the same disciple of Jesus that I was at 17 or at 27. I've got way more patience now with, with people in general, <laughs> but definitely with, um, with just the messiness of life change. It's so big for me as a pastor to be, to be patient with the messiness of discipleship. That's not me being like, like, I'm just back, you know, just kind of sitting back being lazy. It's recognizing that for a long time, I was pretty stubborn that, the, you know, you had to obey the rules or suffer the consequences. And it took a while to soften those edges so that I could be more compassionate with people. And I hope I am more caring and more like Christ at 47 than at 37. I hope he continues to smooth those edges. Y'all, I'm more confident in the faithful sovereignty of God and at the same time more in need of it than I ever have been. I've experienced my smallness, my lack of control, the fragility of life. I mean, 2020 is like a crash course in this. But also, the Lord is showing me more of his grace and more of a reminder that he's with me just through my own physical limitations. At 27, I can stay up all night, work on a project, right? Work on a sermon, work on something else. Now, if I try and write something after 10 p.m., it is like silly nonsense, all right? And... I, I actually found some like, oh no, you know, I've already, I'm over the hill or whatever else you want to say. And I realized I could see that as a loss of capacity or an increased opportunity to trust Christ, yeah. right? I can watch him do more with my less that I have to offer him. Yeah, that's good. Man, the great news of the gospel is when we ran away from God, 
He didn't abandon us. He came after us. He didn't make us take a long, difficult journey back to him. He looked at sinful people and he offered us his presence in our place. Listen, there's one time in the gospels where it said that Jesus isn't here. It's when his disciples go to the tomb and there are two angels who say to them, why are you looking for the living among the dead? He's not here. The only place he isn't is in the grave. And that's because our God, our Savior, is alive. He is living and he is right here. We're going to take communion together in celebration that he's here. His blood and his body paid for our sin, but he did not stay in the grave. He's not there. He's here. He's alive. He's on the throne and he's with us. I want you to take just a minute. I'm going to guide you through just a moment to reflect on that before we take the elements together. I want you to pray just simply, God, you do it in your own words, but I want you just to profess in your own, maybe they're your own version of this, but God, I believe you're right here. I believe you are here with me. I believe it, Father. Maybe you're watching this and that's never been something you've said before. Listen to me. His presence is only available to you through a belief that he paid for your sin on the cross. And so you're no longer separated from God. You were separated from God by your sin. There was a debt that needed to be paid. Christ paid that debt on the cross. And now you can be restored to God the Father. You can have the presence of God with you. Maybe what you need to tell him is, today I'm believing that. I believe the gospel. The good news that I'm saved. I'm forgiven. I believe he's right here. I want you to personalize it. God, this is what's overwhelming me right now, but I believe, I believe you're here. And I believe you're both good and sovereign. I, let this cup pass from me yet, not my will, but yours be done. Just ask him, God, I believe, help my unbelief. Ask him to make his presence enough for you where it hadn't been. Father, we believe. Help our unbelief. (laughs) What we have in our circumstances and our abilities and our wisdom, our resources seem so insufficient for the tasks at hand for the relationships at hand. And in your grace, you remind us that you are all we need. Thank you. Thank you for your grace. We praise you in Jesus' name. There's this, if you got the elements, there's the bread and the cup. And in the bread... 
What we're doing in this meal is the meal that Christ gave his disciples to remember who he is, what he's done. And he said, as he passed it around, he said, this bread represents my body. It was given for you. So as often as you eat this, when you gather together to remember me, as often as you eat this, you remember me. So church, take it. You might need to look at it. As you feel it, it's this tangible reminder he's right here. Tangible reminder he's with us. Tangible reminder he died for us, but he rose again. And we are free from our sin in him. Take, eat, and remember Christ. After he passed the bread around, he passed the cup around to these same disciples he'd been in the boat with. And said, this cup represents my blood poured out for you, creating a new covenant between you and God. You don't have to work your way to earn God's approval. He went up on the cross. was right there so that we didn't have to be. This blood was payment for our sins. So now we are reconciled to God the Father. Everybody who drinks it is saying together, yes, I believe. I believe Christ is enough for me. So church, he said, as often as you drink it, remember him. Take, drink, and remember Christ. Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your love that abounds towards us. Thank you that your love is as patient as it is powerful. Thank you that you're right here. I praise you for it, Father. I pray that that we would be, that the every person who's hearing these words today, who's hearing from your word, would be encouraged to walk in the, in the courage to obey your word because you're right there with them. Thank you for your presence with us. Thank you for your grace in the death and resurrection of Christ. We love you. We praise you, King Jesus. Amen.